This is Kimberly Maylie, and you are listening to The Football Pod, conveniently found at thefootballpod.com. It's Monday, January 15th, 2018. So welcome, everyone, to The Football Pod, and also to NFL Championship Week. And of course, happy Martin Luther King Day. Sam, the divisional playoffs concluded last night. So the bad news is that your favorite NFL weekend of the year is over, but I assume the good news is that you enjoyed the weekend? Kim, I did. Uh, We went three for four on getting good games, which I think is awesome. If you can get three good games on divisional weekend, uh, the lone bad game was the Patriots beating up on the Titans on Saturday night, but I'm so old I didn't mind going to bed early and skipping the fourth quarter. Uh, I will say this, on Saturday the first game wasn't great, but it was close and hard fought throughout. I thought Atlanta had a lot of chances and really blew it, but credit to Philly for getting the win. They knew they were severely limited at quarterback, but Doug Peterson came up with a pretty good game plan knowing that, and they got it done. Although Atlanta did have their chances right up to the end, so that game was sloppy at times, but since it was close throughout and came down to the final couple minutes, I consider it good good TV, good watching. The Sunday games, though, wow. Uh, You and I were texting throughout the day. That was a really good day of football. It was. And yes, Saturday was okay, but Sunday was really good. So we'll get into all of it, and we'll, of course, preview the conference championship games. We also have an excellent guest lined up tonight, so we'll tell you just who in a second. But first, Sam, tell everyone where we are. Ooh, good. I'm excited to find out who our guest is. Um, Love when we have good guests. But Kim, like every week, we are in Studio A at Syracuse Technologies, much like the NFL's TV product. We need the best technology to record the podcast and ensure the highest sound quality and get it published on the website in a hurry. That requires technology, production, and media expertise. Fortunately, we have Syracuse Technologies to do all of that for us, and they can help you guys and gals if your business has multimedia challenges. For media and production solutions, IT services, hardware or software upgrades, or even website hosting or cloud-based services, call Syracuse Technologies to discuss your many options. They're the perfect certified Microsoft partner to help you with all of your tech needs. Whatever your business technology requirements are, talk to Syracuse Technologies about solutions. Head over to their website at cusetech.com. That's cusetech.com. And tell them Kimberly Ann Maley sent you. They will absolutely hook you up. They certainly will, and we're hooking you guys up this week with one of our favorite guests, a former semi-pro football player of the Pittsburgh Passion. She was a member of Pittsburgh's undefeated 2007 National Championship team, Nicole Shalaba. Nicole, welcome back to Syracuse Technology Studio. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Nicole, it's so good to have you. Um, I wish someone had told me in advance so that I could have been better prepared. Um, Kim kept that a mystery, but as, as always, so good to have you. Um, I'm nervous to get started though, because I'm thinking it was a sad or maybe mad or frustrating last 24 hours or so in Pittsburgh and basically all over the country, wherever Steelers fans are, which they're a big national brand. There's Steelers fans really all over the world. So, um, let's get the bad, let's get the bad done first. Where does this rank for, for bad Steeler games in recent memory? This is pretty far up there, I would say. I mean, it was an ex- sort of an exciting game. Um, I feel like Steelers fans were probably sitting, we were sitting on the edge of our seat the entire game. And so, you know, it was exciting to see what was happening and we thought that we were going to pull out the win. And then, you know, the very disappointing end of it just 
I don't know. It was sad more than anything, I feel like. Mostly For sad. me, mostly sad. But other people were definitely mad. My friends from college were in town, and um, the one friend was definitely more mad about it, and I was just more sad about it. So, I've, Kim knows I run the gamut of emotions on – and I know we're not allowed to talk about the Giants during the playoffs because they're never in it. But um, I'm I'm mostly the type that I get mad when they're when they're a heavy favorite. Back when that used to happen, and they would just no show a game or at least no show. It, the Pittsburgh game yesterday it was it was they just came out so flat the first quarter, and yeah. to be down 14-0 like that um, really even though they they got back into it, but. Mm-hmm. That that frustrates me so much when you're at home, you're yeah. supposed to be the better team. You certainly, on offense, have a lot of roster you know talent advantages, um, and to be down 14-0, that is a that's a that's a maddening, frustrating start for a fan. That was definitely maddening, frustrating, very disappointing. However, going into halftime, there was hope and momentum happening. Yeah, so. It was kind of exciting going into halftime. Some of those throws, like the one right before half. I mean, just, gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous. And so we were we were kind of excited. And we're like, yeah, they're going to be all hyped up going into the locker room. They're going to have great pep talks in the locker room. They're going to come back out even even more fired up. And the second half is going to really take off. And, and, you know, I feel like at least for the past couple years, if not for a while now, the Steelers have ha- have always had slow starts. Um, in the first Agreed. opening drives or first quarters, I feel like the Steelers take a little it, while it's been to warm an issue up for a few years. Yes, um, I, I I agree with that totally. Um, for me, this game had everything. Um, it was my favorite game of the day, and I know for Steelers fans, it can't be a favorite, but just neutral observer, it was my favorite game of the day and the weekend. And this maybe is my favorite game of the NFL season so far. Um, hmm. And it's because the first thing I do with these games in the playoffs is, do I have a rooting interest? Well, no, my team's hopelessly out of it. So I root for interesting, and that generally involves the big um, – you're from Pittsburgh, so you don't fall into this category. But what I call the bandwagon teams, Pittsburgh, Dallas, Green Bay, New England in recent history. Um, I like to see though Seattle in recent memory – I like Mm -hmm. to see those teams in it because, especially if they have good quarterbacks, because then the drama, the storylines, and Pittsburgh has been filled with drama this year. Mm -hmm. Um, I get excited for that, and so I want want that. And then in this game, I I thought we had that because you have established Pittsburgh versus upstart Jacksonville, nasty, vicious Jaguars defense who had already Mm -hmm. won a game in Pittsburgh this year. So anytime you get establishment versus new kid on the block type deal uh, in a rematch. And then at that point, I'm just rooting for a good game. So one, I root for interesting storyline drama. And then once they kick off, I just want a good game. And the Jaguars come out, they get up big. The Steelers punch back, like you said, lots of momentum going to the half. At one point when it was 28-21 when they had scored again and closed it to a touchdown, I was just I, I was just hoping, okay, I hope it just stays competitive. I hope the Steelers don't win by three touchdowns. I, I had no idea the entire game what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Are the Jaguars here to stay all day? Are, are the Steelers going to storm back? Is it going to be competitive throughout? And that's what I loved about this game watching just neutral again, neutral observer mm-hmm. is that um and I and I and it's also surprising in that um 
there's no way I thought this game is going to – both teams are going to score 40-plus points. Yeah. Right, right. It's a very high-scoring game. Yeah, I never thought that either. I feel like for me um, – well, yes, it was a great game. I was very excited about this game because I thought that the Steelers would come out, I guess, more more hungry. I don't know if that's the right term. I agree. But that's I thought that I they expected. would come out more hungry, especially because they lost at home to them during and there was the regular some chatter season. During the week, like when yeah. Ben said they wanted them, and Jalen Ramsey says you better watch what you wish for, and so I, I yeah. So I thought, and quite honestly, I'm actually surprised there wasn't more like scuffles because I feel like that happens quite a bit especially with Jacksonville because I feel we saw it with Seattle right I've always felt that Jacksonville is a very similar team to Pittsburgh um just for years now I've kind of thought that and and like we always play hard against each other and you know I just really I don't know I just I really thought that they were going to come out hungrier than they did on yesterday on sunday i agree for two reasons one just the rematch yeah having lost badly at home right and then when when it was public and that ben had said yeah we want them and then ramsey says well you better watch out we would like so at that point i thought okay both are locked in right and this is and the ben the interception in the first quarter i know miles jack made a really good play but it was still a terrible pass. Yes. And I know he came back and and had some amazing throws and had a great game, but they were just well, two things. Um Jacksonville gets the ball. It's like 5 degrees or whatever it was. And Jacksonville scores on their first drive mm-hmm. including the fourth and goal. That was it, it, watching the game I'm like, oh shit! Jacksonville's here to play a complete game, not just this great defense. But mm-hmm. they just went 80 yards and scored in Pittsburgh first drive. Then they get that interception, and it's like, and I just wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I thought maybe Jacksonville's defense comes out and gets some three and outs, and it's a close game mm-hmm. and low scoring at half. I did not expect right. it to start the way it started. Right. And Pittsburgh was lethargic. Yeah, yeah, I really. I couldn't agree more. I thought it was a very, very slow, slower start than their normal slow starts are. I guess I should say it that yeah. way. And then, you know, Ben just didn't play consistently. He had amazing passes. Yeah, there were glimpses. Right. And then there was terrible fumbles, interceptions, whatever. I mean, during the game that just made you wonder, what is he thinking? Is he I know <laughs> thinking? That, I know that statistically when it was all said and done, AB, it looks like, had a good game. Mm-hmm. But do you – I'm wondering if you think it was still not his be- – I, I thought, um, even though statistically it looks like he had a good game, right? but by his standards, I think he could have been better if not for the injury. I'm right. not using that as an excuse for the Steelers. No. But some of these games, you know, like six for 100 and some yards for him, he has games that are like – 10 or 12 catches for 200 and some yards. Right. And a, and he didn't have a, a – it looked like he wasn't always running free in the secondary how he sometimes is in big games. And a calf strain has to be really painful. Right. Uh, so I just wonder – Especially for a receiver. <laughs> oh, my God, planning and cutting <laughs> right. and, try, and trying to run on that. Um, so I just – I wonder – how much you know how much he was hampered by that and if we're going to learn if that there's more to the injury and because that injury took Victor Cruz out for a season 
yeah. the calf strain. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, that was another thought I had just that, uh, I wonder if he was limited and if it would have been one of those all time AB, like super stat sheet stuff in games, if he had been healthier, but, um, I don't know, Kim, it was a good, uh, is for neutral people. It was a fun game to watch huh? for neutral people. It certainly was a fun game to watch for sure. All right, Nicole, we have an interesting statistic here. Oh, geez. You might find it annoying, so um, I apologize <laughs> in advance. But um, when we have historical feats, we have to at least share for people listening. The Jaguars tied a record yesterday for most points ever given up by a Steelers team in the postseason. They scored 45 at Pittsburgh yesterday, which is the same as the Miami Dolphins scored against Pittsburgh way back in 1984. Wow. So pretty strange. Dan Marino and Blake Bortles are the only two quarterbacks to put up 45 points Mar- on the Marino, Steelers. Blake Bortles, that, you know, yeah, to, that's to kind belong of, in the same sentence. Yeah. In the NFL playoffs. Um, we have the Patriots. They once scored 41 on the Steelers. But that was back in the conference title game after the 2004 season. The Raiders put up 38 on the Steelers, but that was after the 1983 season. And the Patriots put up 36 on the Steelers last year in the AFC title game. So um, that's it. The Steelers have only allowed 36 points or more five times in the history of the playoffs. In the past, it required quarterbacks like Dan Marino and Tom Brady. But yesterday, it came at the hands of Blake Bortles. And I don't think anyone saw that one coming. No. Even if you thought the Jags were going to play the Steelers tough, and even if you thought Jacksonville was going to win, I don't think anyone predicted them scoring 45 points. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about next year for the Steelers. I know Ryan Shazier's situation is pretty sad, but he's probably not coming back. So defensively, that's a totally different team without him. How can they get better in the offseason? What a lead up to that question. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, first of all, those statistics are pretty crazy, and I would never put Bortles in the same category as Marino. Um, I mean, didn't Dan Marino make like the Wheaties box, like on the I'm, Wheaties box? I'm sure. I'm sure, and he was he was um, he was Brett Favre and Peyton Manning before Brett Favre and Peyton right. Manning, as far as just having these eye popping statistics right. long before it was the NFL passing lead that we know. Young people, I think, have heard of Dan Marino and know that. But, that, I mean, that's why you look at I know who Dan Marino is. I'm just saying I can't imagine Blake Bortles being yeah. on the Wheaties box. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, so. Well, Marino is kind of beloved <laughs> in Pittsburgh because he's, he's from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. That's, oh, yeah. that's right. So yeah. we always knew about Marino growing up because he was. that Western was, Pennsylvania quarterback right. legacy. Right. And so people in Pittsburgh were always, like, proud of him mm-hmm. because. Yeah. He did so well. But, yeah, I would never put Bortles in that category. And the fact that he has – oh, that just kills me a little bit. But at the same time, for defense for the offseason, I mean, there's just a lot that they need to work on, and especially rebuilding almost without a Shazier, you know, without Ryan. I I think that's going to be – Because the the middle of the defense um, now is is a liability. Yeah, I think – you watch these games. Yeah, absolutely. And – you know, what we noticed, too, during the game yesterday, I and I hate when the Steelers' defense does this, but they start giving such huge cushions on the third and longs. And that's so frustrating to Bortles watch. Bortles two and three-yard passes to TJ Yeldon, and he runs untouched for 12 right. yards on I, third I and mean, 10. I mean, I don't understand the large cushions that are being given on the defense for that. So I think that that's, like, 
and, you're, and well, you're missing linebackers in the underneath part of the cover. Right. I mean, they've been, and but I feel like that has been happening. That has been a consistent thing that's been happening this whole season for the Steelers. That was very frustrating to watch during the season. Um, so it just was exacerbated yesterday <laughs> whenever well, they're when throwing up out, all these scores. When you have one superstar as good as Shazier or like in his prime or Ray Lewis in Baltimore, mm-hmm. when you have one guy that covers so much lateral, right. you know, the, the whole field so well, it covers up the, the inadequacies of other right. linebackers, of safeties. Exactly. And so you t- it, it just goes to show how valuable he was that they can go from being – Statistically, they were a pretty good defense this year with him, and now all of a sudden, uh, without him, th- th- there's glaring weaknesses. Right, right. So I think that's going to be a major thing that they're going to have to look at, even you know, going into to the NFL draft and everything um, for this upcoming for this upcoming year. But I think um, I think too, what was frustrating about that game yesterday. You know, we were throwing up all these touchdowns and we were behind the whole game. I don't understand why we weren't going for two like we did a lot during the regular season. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of, you know, why aren't we going for two here? We, we, we have been going for two during the regular season quite a bit, I felt. I mean, I don't Steelers kind of always have. Yeah, I feel like. they Steelers have done that a lot. And I feel um, like especially over the past point. couple seasons, yeah. they've been doing that a lot more. Yeah. Or they have like a random trick play. And I understand they might not do a random trick play or, or something different on special teams because it's a playoff game. But I don't understand since we were behind the whole game mm-hmm. why we weren't going for two on some of those. Because well, you do that a couple times and you might – then all of a sudden make Be, up the within a field goal of, right, or something yeah, right. like that. I mean, I think um, and again, carrying that momentum. Sorry, Kim. I think I read um, or heard somewhere in, in yesterday's game that um, the last successful two point conversion, hmm. is that right? Mm-hmm. Terminology was in 2007 during a playoff season oh. for the Steelers. Well, they uh, haven't had one in a playoff game? They haven't oh. had an, a successful attempt in a playoff game since 2007. Hmm. I'd miss that. Um, but Because I, I usually listen for it, those random no, stats the, that they the, throw out the, during the game, yeah. the commentary. The thing is, you're, you're right. The Steelers do it are, are more um, unconventional than a lot of teams, but the coach has the chart that says you're down by this much, go for one, go for two. Yeah. And then there's a few when all of a sudden you're down like five or four where it's coach's decision. And you're trying to plan ahead. I, but you're right. I, I think maybe that would have uh, would have been the better bet for them when they were behind so much. Well, and their fourth and inches on those couple the ones that they had were, were atrocious. I don't sweep, know why the they were. Oh. That was I. I was when Jalen Ramsey dropped him for like a four or five yard loss. I, I was shocked. We yes, we were all freaking out about why they called that play call. I don't know why you aren't doing quarterback sneaks on fourth and inches. And then Ben's talking about it in the post-game conference. And, uh. So let's move from Sorry. defense to offense here. I mean, um, they scored 42 points in a losing effort, Pittsburgh Steelers, so it's hard to say offense is the problem. But how unhappy is um, Big Ben here? I mean, he had another press conference where he took um, shots at Todd Haley. Where is this relationship going? I mean, will Haley even be on the Pittsburgh staff next year? And, um, you know, do you personally think he's done a good job? Or do you think it's time for the Steelers to move on regardless? 
Let's talk about the whole thing because to non-Steelers fans, it seems like Big Ben and Haley can't really coexist anymore. I feel like it's been that way for a while between them. Almost since Todd Haley has been there, I feel like there's always been that tension um, because he came in after Ben was there for a while and had won at least one, if not two Super Bowls. Um, I can't remember what year Haley came on. But, um, yeah, I I mean, part of me feels like Ben, especially if we would have even made it to the AFC Championship, I think that Ben would have been closer to saying he was going to retire. And now... You know, I mean, he's been talking, he's been kind of hinting at it and kind of talking about it for a little while now. I know he's married with now, I think, three kids. I think he just had his third kid. And um, I feel like that's kind of been hinted about here and there. And he's been banged up over the years. I mean, he's never been, you know, he always talks about injuries and things that he's played through and everything else. But he's been banged up quite a bit as a quarterback especially yeah. in this league and he has, um, to his credit he has played through a lot <clears throat> and style of play he's always been willing to hang around and hold on to the ball a little while right. longer and than say anyone else any, yeah, pretty, <laughs> like like he, he, he's in like the brett Favre category yeah. of i'm holding the ball and i will make a play no matter what yeah um and and then he takes a lot of shots yeah for that yeah and so and so him with Haley, I feel like this has been something that everyone, especially in Pittsburgh, has been talking about for years. I mean, it's a pretty normal topic of conversation. I see it on my Facebook feed pretty much after any Steelers loss. That's always like what my friends are talking about is that Haley needs to go or, you know, that's that's always like a big thing that's being highlighted every time there's a Steelers loss or Steelers do poorly on offense. And so I think um, – but at the same time, I feel like the Steelers don't really get rid of coaches quite easily or they don't no, it's kind part of, of their it's part of their ML. Like or, yeah, or exactly. Strategies. Right. Yeah. And they don't and they don't give in to like the peer the public peer pressure almost that sometimes happens, I think, with other teams. Especially it, more vulnerable teams. Right, right. And so I think Pittsburgh, the ownership management has never sort of given in to the Pittsburgh um, people in terms of what they might want or, or what they might demand. So I'm I'm I curious that's really to see true with the head coach, but but I don't know at this point if they can justify. Hayden. Right, right. I I, I, I will. I, I'm gonna say that I'd be shocked. And and Kim and Kim's right. Ben just takes shots at Haley in every press conference. He was talking about the quarterback sneak thing. He's like, I don't know. We never do it. Like that. He was so frustrated. Um, after the New England game this year, Ben was so frustrated, and he's like, "I don't." He he was clearly, um, he was conveying either there's confusion from the sidelines about how to handle those last couple downs, or he disagrees with the call. Right. Or, uh, he, he's and you've seen times where he clearly has disregarded whatever was called yeah, on the sideline. They're, they're not even communicating. He, one's right. Yelling he's at the right. Other and one's right. Ignoring the other. Like you, you. I've definitely noticed that during games as well, where he's definitely ignored, and just you know. Did, so, did what he thought was right. So Mike right. Tomlin must really like Haley. Yeah. They, they must have a good relationship. Right. If, if Tomlin's been willing to keep this in, in place the last few years. Um, but I, I think that's for the Steelers. You, you talked about how defensively they've got to address certain issues in the draft. Mm-hmm. And 
then offensively, I think because of all now, I know there's the the Le'Veon Bell situation with the franchise tag and everything too, mm-hmm. but I don't buy into any of that. It, they could franchise him again, and he might hold out, but he'll show up in week one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I but I but otherwise, you know, so defensively, like you said in the draft, offensively, I think Haley and the staff and just the organization and there, I think, is their biggest issue to watch in the off season on that yeah. side of the ball. Right, I think. Um, so we talked about this a lot from Pittsburgh's perspective. Yeah. Um, I do want to say a couple things about Jacksonville. Nicole, Sam's a bandwagon Jack- Jaguars <laughs> fan, so hopefully you're not too offended and annoyed with him right now. No. Well, <laughs> I sort of am, but I <laughs> I didn't wear my T-shirt tonight out of um, respect for Nicole. So, um, so just a couple interesting things. First, Kim mentioned how rare it is to put up points on the Steelers in a playoff game. It's also really rare for the Steelers to lose two home games to the same team in a season which the Jaguars won there in October this year and then again yesterday now it's partly so difficult for that to happen just because of scheduling you'd have to play the team you only get eight home games you'd have to play the team at home and then have the the playoff seedings work out that you play them again so someone like Baltimore Mm -hmm. that could happen with and it has happened right but never Baltimore has beaten them even in the playoffs at whatever three Hines um field but never also at home and during the season so I was researching this it only happened in the last 30 years or so of history that I could research it's only happened twice it also happened 10 years ago and it was Jacksonville and you talked about how these teams historically play each other so tough so I thought that was really interesting um Hmm. so I think a lot of Steelers fans um especially if they're over the age of 30 or so um Maybe they dislike Jacksonville more than they they um, realize because they've been down for a few years. But if you think about it, um, there's some history there. Uh, another impressed with your research there. Yeah, I, know, I, I actually had to spend some time confirming that today. Um, another win loss type of stat in the Ben Roethlisberger era. So we're going back to the two, 2004 season. Steelers and the Jaguars have played ten times now, including yesterday. Most of those years, the Steelers... So I'm, I'm so happy you talked about how these teams have always played each other tough. Um, most of those years, the Steelers have been pretty good, and the Jags not very good. But in the, the 10 times over the course of 14 Big Ben seasons, Jags have won six and Steelers only four. At first, you hear that, and it's, it's surprising, almost shocking. But one of the things I like about when these two teams play, and I'm old, so Kim probably won't even remember this, but Nicole, I think, being from Pittsburgh, will. These are actually old... AFC Central rivals from pre-realignment. Mm-hmm. They used to play twice a year in the regular season every year, just before the the Ben era. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when Coughlin was in Jacksonville the first time, long before his Giants years. Um, and they had a pretty fun rivalry then. They played twice a year. They typically split. They had everything that a divisional rivalry should have. Lots of season splits, like 1-1 usually the home team winning. Sometimes you'd get a year where both road teams won at the other site. And uh, so Jacksonville was an expansion team in 95, and they played each other twice a year every year from 95 to to 01. So 14 total games. In those years, Jacksonville won eight to six for the Steelers. Both teams are really competitive in that area. Typically, AFC playoff teams are in the playoff hunt. So if you're a football nerd and a history nerd both, I don't know anyone like that, but if you are like that, <laughs> then um, this is a fun rivalry that actually goes back over 20 years. And now next, here's what I love about it. Next year, we expect Pittsburgh to be good again. I mean, they've got issues they'll address in the draft, but they're going to be a good team again. And now with Jacksonville, um, 
we absolutely expect them with all the young talent on the roster. They got to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback, but they're going to be good again. They both finished first place this year, so they will absolutely play next year. And we talked about how the Steelers should have had an edge coming into this playoff game. Well, I hope they absolutely have that Mm -hmm. and the fans too going into the Pittsburgh-Jacksonville regular season game next year. One of the things that Kim and I do every year in August is we look at the NFL schedule and we try to say what are some like must-see weekends and we, we do things like this year when Green Bay and Dallas played way back, I think it was actually week five when Pittsburgh-Jacksonville played, you circled that game because of the way Rodgers beat Dallas in Dallas last year and then the regular season game was in Dallas and then Rodgers did it to him all over again. New England-Pittsburgh. You knew in August that New England-Pittsburgh, that game will decide home field most likely. Yep. So you can circle certain games, and I just love that this is a rivalry renewed. These were two (laughs) division rivals in the 90s, played a lot of close games. For whatever reason, even when they were bad, played Pittsburgh tough, Mm -hmm. and now recent success. And so I, again, if you're the type that likes history, football, rivalry, all wrapped up into one, I think this now is a really legitimate AFC rivalry and what I what I'm excited about there is the AFC in post Peyton Manning when Peyton was on Indy they were good and then he had a couple good years in Denver after that we're, we're down to the the Patriots and the Steelers mm-hmm. so I like the idea of a third team getting into the mix and competing with those two yeah so um so that's that's something that stuck out for me. Well, I, I guess that begs the question then. Um, and and I didn't know that Jacksonville had more wins over Pittsburgh in, it's, in it's crazy. history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Nicole, this question's for you. Did Pittsburgh overlook Jacksonville this weekend? I mean, were the Steelers too focused on the Patriots? Great question. That is a great question. And in hindsight, I would absolutely say yes. <laughs> I think they were absolutely looking towards Patriots and, and and not thinking this through or at least not giving it the respect that it should have gotten, I guess I should say. But at the same time, leading into the week, I, would, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have I, said that at all. I agree with what you're saying. I felt like... Yeah, I felt like they were both locked in, but especially with what with the what back you were saying and, right earlier in the week and everything else and the revenge and everything else. Yeah. But Kim from the regular Kim season, may, but that's. But I think what Kim might be saying is even in spite of that, like the Steelers are saying the right things, like we want Jacksonville, but still in the back of their head, they're thinking we're going to go out and take care of business, and then let's let's get and then and also it's to the detriment that new england looked so good on saturday night right right then you hit the field knowing that sunday morning and you know new england looked really good and you've got to go there because of the stupid week 15 the way that all went down so i think kim's right i think it's at least subconsciously it's there yeah they're thinking about new england it can't not be there i mean sam you played the game i think and i think it would be true in any sports context if you're an athlete, you think about the game and you focus on the game for the week, but you can't help but think beyond that week too oh, and have that in your mind. I mean, one is your rival, but right, your number, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're a heavy favorite, right? You, you are, you are absolutely thinking ahead, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, that's hard to put that out of your mind for sure. But, um, 
you know, I thought that they were ready to go, but then obviously in the first quarter, my mind kind of changed pretty quickly. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's got to be so frustrating for Steelers fans because then the way they come back, and, you know, Kim made a good point, 42 points in a losing effort against the league's, you know, arguably best defense, probably the best mm-hmm. defense in the AFC conference for sure. Right. And you have the talent offensively to put up 42 even after a slow start. That's just got to be so frustrating why the slow start that that mm, yeah I, I feel bad for Steelers fans as we say some of it out loud well let's move on from Pittsburgh and maybe we'll come back if Nicole has other things to say regarding the Steelers okay but let's talk about the other game yesterday have you guys ever seen a crazier last three minutes I mean um the lead changed four times in the last three minutes of the game I can't remember ever seeing something like this can you i'll let nicole go first i honestly maybe the last time that something was highlighted for me like that well it was actually in the super bowl the giants the giants patriots super bowl the helmet catch. the helmet catch i mean that i mean that was towards the end that wasn't the final play or anything but, yeah, but that definitely was... The Giants' last drive. Right. And it was like a crazy, it was a crazy play. That was a crazy, it was certainly a crazy, one of the most, I can't believe what I just saw moments. Right, right. Yeah. But the, again, that was Super Bowl and you kind of expect those kinds of moments, I guess, in a Super Bowl or, or. I agree. I, with, I mean, I don't know. But, I think I agree with what you're saying in that we've seen crazy finishes with like one crazy play or if it's the very last play or last couple plays. Another good one for me is um, it was two years ago in the divisional playoffs when Aaron Rodgers threw back-to-back Hail Marys in the same drive when he was backed up to like the one-yard line and from the end zone gets it to the 50 and then he's got to throw to the end. So he gets 100 yards in a couple plays uh, to tie that game and force overtime. Um, But I don't think we've ever seen it. Kim mentioned the lead change back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm sure it's happened somewhere, probably not in in a game this consequential. Um, but what was so crazy to me is when the Saints were driving with like six minutes, five minutes, four minutes to go, and I told my wife, I think they'll run out the clock and and score and win. I think Drew Brees is going to milk the clock and they're going to score and win. And then they score right away, so there's a few minutes left. But I still... Then, then the Vikings score and leave the Saints 90 seconds. And I just thought it was really bad clock management by both teams that both have their chances to not just win, but you know kick that field goal with time expiring or with very little expiring. And and they you know the Vikings to their credit then get a big stop on like a third and one, and then they get it back with 30 seconds. And I still thought at that point it was too little time for the Vikings. But then we had you know we saw how it all. Um, we saw how it all played out, so it's a pretty crazy finish. There um, might be a runner-up with crazy finishes, okay. and that's Buffalo at Tennessee in the, oh, the 1999 yeah. um, playoff um, route. But um, you, yeah, we could was... bring back the Bills minute, and I could explain that, or uh, Bills fans, well, we yeah, we, we will, won't. Uh... I think the Bills fans are just happy <laughs> that they went to the playoffs finally for the first time since the Music City Miracle, so I think we'll just we'll leave it we'll at leave that. It at that. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I have some interesting trivia for you guys regarding that ending. So are you ready? Of course. 
All right, this is a good one. Nicole, do you like Kim's stats, trivia, and information? Um, they're very good. <laughs> good stuff. Um, I try and be very, very thorough. Um, so this this one's a good one. It was the first time that an NFL NFL playoff game has ever ended with a touchdown on the final play of regulation. The f- that's the first time ever. Ever? Yes. We've had wow. playoff games and on touchdowns and overtime, and we've oh. had regulation mm-hmm. games and in field goals, but we've never had a playoff game and on a touchdown on the final play of the fourth quarter. So you guys saw some history yesterday. Well, interesting. And at 61 yards, it was also the longest catch of Ste- Stefan Diggs' career. And now everyone listening can go use that trivia with their friends. We'll come back to the Vikings when we talk about the NFC title game next week. But let's focus on other NFC divisional game that took place this weekend. The Falcons went to Philly as favorites, but the Eagles held on. They got a late goal line stand and won. Were you guys surprised? No, it was Eagles at home. Really? Yeah. You felt like even... Okay. I, I admit I was surprised, absolutely. I wrote about it on the website last week. I thought Atlanta would actually cover as the mm-hmm. uh, road favorite, so I got it wrong. Well, especially with Nick Foles um, in the mix and not having good past yeah. couple games. But you didn't have the best week picking games, Sam. I didn't. Um, I went 1-3 this week. That's awful, so I apologize to everyone. Um, Kevin went 3-1 and one against the spread picking games on the footballpod.com this week, but nobody else was very good. Kim, you at least went 2-2, two and two, which mm-hmm. is respectable. My 1-3 and three is terrible. That's what I hate about so few games is 3-1 and one's great. 2-2 two and two is everybody says, okay, at least you went 2-2. Two and two. But then if you're 1-3, and three, that's terrible. I was. Um, regarding this game, um, I had the, – the reason I'm surprised is I had zero – Kim just said it. I, I had zero faith in the Eagles' offense. Um I probably put too much faith in the Southern Dome team coming north, in especially considering we've had some pretty awful northeast weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Eagles have a really legit defense. with the, And then they have the three running backs, so they have the ability to get a ground game going. Um, Foles was just good enough in a conservative game plan on Saturday night. So, Kim, I think last week one of your questions was, can Doug Peterson do that? Can he come up with a game plan despite clear limitations at quarterback. And I think he did that, um, and, and they executed. But to answer your question, I, I expected the Falcons to win. I admit I, I got that one wrong. Well, you're right. The game plan was good. Um, Foles actually completed 23 of 30 passes. They were almost entirely short, consecutive pass plays. And I think he only had one completion all day that was over 15 yards in the air. I mean, they relied on their receivers getting yards after the catch, and the Eagles continued to run the ball even though they weren't getting huge gains, but it gave them the balance that they needed. They ran the ball 32 times on Saturday, and that's compared to 30 passes. Oh, that is good. So that allowed them to win the time of possession and limit Matt Ryan's chances, right? Yeah, and um, he didn't have his best game anyway. Uh, He struggled to get the ball to anyone other than Julio Jones. And that was a real problem for them a lot this season when he was struggling and definitely on Saturday. So, you know, Julio is great, but Ryan's not able to get to the ball to the rest of the receivers enough, and I think that cost them. Um, I read a couple interesting articles online today about the Eagles' defense knowing exactly what was happening on the last play on fourth and goal when Atlanta was trying to score and win. 
and Eagles defensive backs were shouting out, this is going to be a sprint pass in the direction that Matt Ryan was was running. And what's crazy to me is um, that they went ahead and ran that play anyway. Now, I know you've got Julio Jones, and you're hoping you're going to get a one-on-one situation in the end zone, and he's just going to make the play. But um, even at, I don't know, high school football teams have audibles in place for when the defense starts screaming your play. And everyone who's played football has had that. I'm sure, Nicole, you've had that happen where, mm-hmm. like, you hear a linebacker or a safety start. They've just they, they're, they've got their keys, and they've seen what you've done that day, and they start, or, or they've watched you on film or whatever, and they start screaming the play. Um, to go with it anyway, I feel like if you have Cam Newton, if you have Russell Wilson, fine. If you want to sprint them out and they're athletic enough and maybe the defense overcommits to the run, and you see that all the time, they, they, they commit too much to like a Russell Wilson-type quarterback, and then all of a sudden the third-string tight end's like sitting there wide open in the end zone. But for Atlanta with Matt Ryan, he's not a threat with his legs. So I so that play, if like if I was a Falcons fan, I would have, you know, we talked about some of the Steelers kind of mind-boggling play calls with, with the fourth and ones. Atlanta's fourth and goal, I also, if I'm a Falcons fan, I'd be really frustrated. I, it didn't make sense to me. Well, they just didn't execute very well for much of the day. Um, well, that's true, too. They had they had other chances throughout the day. So do you guys think that's on Atlanta? Or was Philly just good enough defensively to make Atlanta uncomfortable and force the Falcons into mistakes? I don't know. <laughs> I, it's a tough question, but I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so, so all year there's been some narrative that we were talking about Haley with the Steelers earlier. There's been narrative that the Falcons really miss Kyle Shanahan, who's coaching in San Francisco mm-hmm. now. And, um, and was Steve Sarkeesian the best hire to replace him as OC there? So I don't know if it's so much that it's Sark's fault. I think sometimes it's just the last guy was really, really good. Yeah. So... Yeah. Shanahan gets the the absolute best out of Matt Ryan. It's not like Matt Ryan has ha, was as good as he was in 2016 forever. Shanahan built that up, and now we saw Matt Ryan come back down to the B-plus type of quarterback he is, that he's not Brady. Kim was so upset last year when he won the MVP because he had this one great statistical season by his standards, <coughs> but by like a Tom Brady or even Roethlisberger or, or even like Russell Wilson, just kind of, well, that's just a normal year mm-hmm. um so i think you know this year what we saw from atlanta 10 and 6 get a wild card won a wild card round game but then losing the divisional round i just think that's kind of what they are they lost a great offensive coach and eventually it was gonna you know things were gonna their luck was gonna not luck fortune was gonna run out um so Earlier I said I think Haley and what the Steelers do offseason is a big story. Same thing with Atlanta and Sarkeesian. Um, that, that, that's what to follow um, in the offseason with Atlanta is, are, is he going to come back and Atlanta thinks that they're going to, in year two under that offensive coordinator, take a, a step forward again? Or do they jump the gun on a, on a coaching switch? And um, Dan Quinn seemed supportive of his offensive coordinator after the game. 
But sometimes these situations can change in a hurry. I mean, we heard that Tennessee wouldn't make any changes after they won the game in Kansas City, but then this morning they fired their coach anyway. Yeah, so Mike Malarkey gone. Um, the way it was reported is that the two sides, air quotes, mutually agreed to part ways, but that's obviously a bunch of garbage. Um, you're, you're Malarkey, you're coaching the Titans, you just went to the playoffs, you won a game at Arrowhead, and you have Marcus Mariota. So not a lot of better situations, right? If you're going to take an NFL job to have a good young 24, 25 year old quarterback that you can build around, because mm-hmm. look at the teams that don't have quarterbacks and they just struggle forever. Um, so you're in the playoffs, you won a game. Um, I don't think this is the kind of situation where you mutually agree on going your separate ways, especially it's not like Malarkey was getting hired to go ho- coach another team mm-hmm. in a better situation. So I think it's just Tennessee forcing him into resignation and not publicly saying you're fired. Um, I, and, and the little bit I could read about it is that they disagreed on, I guess he was not willing to say, I will change over a bunch of my staff, especially offensively. Cause you know, Dick LeBeau is there coaching defense mm-hmm. now. I don't know how much longer he's going to coach, but, um, offensively, I think ownership and management was really upset with how primitive the Titans offense looks, even though they've got Mariota there. Um, so, um, you know, so who knows? These these staffs and coaching changes, we'll, we'll see what happens. But you're, you're right that that's a good point that um, just because Dan Quinn the other day said he was fine with Sarkeesian, mm-hmm. Tennessee said they were fine with Malarkey, and then he's fired like a day later. So I guess we have to keep an eye on all of it. We certainly will. I mean, you never know. Um, but let's talk about the winner from that Saturday afternoon game. The Eagles were considered home underdogs, even though they were the top seed in the NFC. Nicole, of everyone here in the studio tonight, you've suited up most recently. Yeah. (laughs) So if you were playing at home in Pittsburgh and you had earned the highest seed in the postseason and then you were told you were underdogs anyway, would that give you and your teammates a little extra motivation? Oh, yeah. That would definitely put the fire in the belly. For sure. For sure. Um, So you wouldn't need... um, it wouldn't be enough that you were just that it's the playoffs and you're motivated anyway. It would that would that would work for you. That, that would drive me more. That would drive Absolutely. You, like, I think all. it would drive all of us and I think our coaches would use that too. Okay. I think that I I mean so it, to motivate us okay. even more. So you can always use you think you can always use extra motivation. Yeah, absolutely. It's, okay. I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of coaches over the years say not college coaches, but NFL coaches say Eh, it's the playoffs. If if you're not motivated by now, you know what is going to motivate you. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting that Nicole says, um, you know, she would have had coaches that would use it. I I think mm-hmm. you know I've 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 heard both um, that some NFL teams it doesn't matter, and that some definitely it gives them an edge. So I mean that's also what they say publicly, and we don't know what they're saying yeah, at practice or true. when they're doing chalk talk or whatever. Exactly. Reviewing film, you don't know what they're saying in your well, break in your breakdown. Right. When like right. the most like passionate person on the team is screaming at you about. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's that too. Well, I also think teams that um, have had a history of making the playoffs that's expected from their teammates and their coach, and you know management probably um more than teams that haven't made the playoffs in five six seven years 
Yeah. So yeah. So that's a really good point because the Eagles in this era, mm-hmm. with with I mean Carson Wentz is injured, but in the in the Peterson Carson Wentz era, this is the beginning for them. Mm-hmm. So you're right. If they had been here for five or six years already, maybe it's just like, ah, eh, who cares what right. they're saying? We're right. just gonna go out and kick their ass anyway. Right. But for a young team. I I agree. Great point, Kim. Mm -hmm. Well, whether the Eagles needed extra motivation or not, they got the job done, like the number one seed should at home. And so now they host the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Do you guys think the NFL is nervous at all about having an NFC title game that features Case Keenum against Mm -hmm. Nick Foles? I mean, this isn't exactly Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers in the NFC. What do you think? I love that you throw the Aaron Rodgers reference in there, Kim. <laughs> that was I have nice. to. I, I, I agree that I agree that I would be much more excited. It's much better than throwing was, a Tom Brady, was, huh? Don't you agree? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But, well, but she but she stuck. She stayed in the NFC, and I agree. I would be much more excited for Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers than these two quarterbacks. But. Um, but what do you think? Does, does it matter if, the, if there are superstar quarterbacks playing in a championship game or not? I don't know about superstar quarterbacks, but I mean, I personally, I've always, you know, cared more and known more about AFC just because I'm a Steelers AFC fan. Girl. But um, so I'm not I'm not really super excited about this matchup mm-hmm. at all. I mean, it's just not, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it and mm-hmm. everything, but it's just not doesn't seem super exciting to me. I agree. I mean, um, they both were backup quarterbacks when the season began, right? It's yeah, so it's it's not optimal. I I agree with your question. Um, I want to say this though: Case Keenum's been a pretty legit quarterback this year. He's played well, and I think gotten better as the season's gone on. So yes, he starts out as a backup, um, but he's made big time throws. Uh, he looks to me like a guy that has lots of NFL talent and needed the right situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a. Off air earlier, Nicole and I were talking about the 2004 quarterback class of Ben and Eli and Rivers and who gets which situation. So it's interesting that this came up because I think um, Case Keenum looks like a legit starting quarterback. Foles is clearly a backup. So I think they're, they both start the year as a backup within the context of their own respective rosters. But I think Case Keenum has more proven... Um, with that and and any quarterback with the Vikings defense on their side should be good enough to win games and get to the playoffs because if Blake Bortles can do it in Jacksonville with with the best defense in that conference then Keenum should do that in Minnesota but um I think Keenum's better than I think Keenum's maybe better than he's getting credit for whereas Foles probably is just a career backup who's playing because the Eagles don't have a better option right now Okay, but do you think it's bad news for the NFL to have this quarterback matchup in one of their three most important games of the season? I think when you tune into Fox right before kickoff, you're going to hear um, Joe Buck and Troy hyping how good the defenses are in this game. Okay, that's probably true. <laughs> That'll be the company line. Um, and I have some data for you guys on just how good they've been this year. Ooh, good. Okay. More so, stats. So, Nicole, you can see Kim's a stat machine, especially when it <laughs> yeah. comes to, like, team stats and matchups and all this kind of Which stuff. Which is probably why she heard that stat about the um, two-point conversions in the yes. Steelers game, and I missed it. Yes. Um, well, are you ready? Of course. It is the playoffs, so let's start with scoring defense. After all, you can't win if you don't score. So let's talk about which defenses do the best job of preventing their opponents from scoring. Here we go. The Vikings are the best in the NFL. 
These numbers include playoff games, and the Vikings are only allowing 16.2 points per game. The Eagles are the fourth best, so Philly only allows 17.9 points per Mm. game. So we have two of the top four going at it here. Points should be hard to come by in the game, and we've got two of the best scoring defenses, and it's in Philly in northeast weather, so that could be a factor as well. As long as we're talking about the best scoring defenses, can you guys guess the others? So Minnesota, we had at um, 16.2. They're the best. They're the best. The Eagles are fourth. Any ideas who the others might be? You, you said the others like in the top five? In the top rankings? five, yeah. Okay. Well, Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Jacksonville a lot has to be. They okay. have to be up there. Um, so two of the top five are also playing in the other conference title game. Jacksonville, you are correct, is the third best. And New England is the fifth best wow. scoring defense wow. in the league. So both games um, this weekend feature top five scoring defenses. Something to think about for those of you that think the NFL has transitioned um, being a purely offensive league. Um, it's actually good defenses that are still going far into the playoffs. Defense wins championships. Yeah. Very, okay. yeah. Also, the other two five scoring defense is maybe a little surprising. Oh, there's one. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there's, there's one, one more. more. So the final four NFL teams all have top, top five, five scoring defenses. And there's one more. There's one more. Might okay. be a little surprising. Any guesses? Just tell us. No. Oh, okay. It's the LA Chargers. They are the second what? best in the league. They only allowed They're second <laughs> second best wow. in the league. They only allowed 17 points per game this year. Um, they finished one game out of the playoffs, but they were playing pretty well at the end of the year. So those of you that are already looking ahead to your fantasy drafts in 2018, maybe start thinking about the Chargers. Damn. Wow. You should, you should tell me these things privately. Don't give away these yeah. secrets. That was, yeah. that, I would have never guessed that. Well, we wouldn't be such a great show unless we shared this information. Okay, fine. Great sleeper <laughs> pick for next year. Um, but back to Eagles-Vikings. We have the same rankings for total defense that we had for scoring defense. Minnesota is best in the league. Philly is fourth best. So it's hard to move you know, the ball on either sense. team. Right. Offenses can't get up and down the field very easily, and they can't score when they do. And it gets even better. Sam, what do you always say are the two things you must do to win games and at the most elementary level of football, oh. please? Oh, yeah. Um, and I've taught my wife this. Run the ball and stop the run. Right. So, Nicole, <laughs> as a former offensive guard, <laughs> do you concur? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Right? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> I played. I actually played linebacker first, so I was on the defensive so you understand side. Both. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Yeah. So you you, you would that be was, our expert here. That was definitely. Especially, especially run the ball, stop es- the run. Especially stop the run. If you can't stop, like if you give up five yards every run play, like you you're are done. Totally fucked. Yeah. Like, you're, like you are gonna lose. Badly. That's it. Game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. Um, some teams are showing that you can if you have. Actually, it's only like Green Bay and New England are showing that you can consistently win with dropping back and throwing 50 times a game when you have to. For everybody else, you have to be able to run the ball. Right. Too. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about run defense for these teams. Okay. The Eagles are best in the league. They give up less than 80 yards per game on the ground, and that's an incredibly good number. That's really good. Um, the Vikings are second best. They only give up 84 mm. yards per game. 
So we've talked about how both teams so the two best run defenses. Wow, are playing two each other. Are playing each other. We've talked about how both teams are starting quarterbacks that were backups when the season started. So maybe both will want to try and establish their run games on Sunday. But good luck with that, since we'll see yeah. the two best run defenses in the league. So we have elite defenses at basically every level. And now that you've put out these stats, I definitely agree with what Sam said about what the announcers are going to say at the beginning of the games. <laughs> ah, because you have to hype it to whatever yeah. the strength is. Of yes, that absolutely. So. Well, maybe I wonder be how many listening. of these. I wonder how many of these stats we're going to hear this weekend yeah. during well, the like, game. So Kim's example. So Kim's example of Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. If it were those teams, then you're going to hear Joe Buck's kind of annoying voice at the at, right before kickoff of. And it's Aaron Rodgers. Like, and this is going to be probably something that Kim just said. We have the number one overall defense versus the. So, yeah, you're right. Um, they could be listening now and, and be taking this these, they these pointers. They us. should. They should. Um, they do take pointers from us. So, also, both of these teams have positive turnover differential numbers of the year. They both, on average, finish up by half a turnover per game. So based on the statistical evidence, this sounds like we'll see a close, low-scoring game. And now that you guys know the numbers, what do you think? Nicole, is the perfect setup for a game with a 17-16 to type of final score here? I think it's going to be pretty close to that. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to be more than two touchdowns based on everything you've just thrown out there, for sure. Yeah, I I can't argue with Kim's research. Um, We need to start – this is – Kim, this is – I think you're saying this on the air. I think you're having your best day ever. Um, we need to start <laughs> renaming this segment of the show, by the way, because this is really fun and informative and both. So since you're getting into all these like stats and analytics now, like turnover differential at plus a half a turnover a game, um, maybe instead of analytics, how about if we call this Camalytics. I love it. <laughs> Pretty good, right? I love it. I'm not sure about that one, but you can see how um, more research I'm able to produce when I have the day off of work. I guess um, <laughs> we need a Martin. We need to celebrate Martin Luther King every week. Um, I will say this: in that Jacksonville Pittsburgh game, I thought there was zero chance we'd see 87 combined points. So I'll just say you never know. Sometimes in the lead up to these games. Um, mm. It, it, we hear certain things like this is going to be a defensive battle, and then it doesn't turn out that way. But and, but even, but if it does, I'm I'm all for that because I do like low scoring playoff games. I was the only person I know that really really enjoyed the ten to three Jaguars. I was just game. gonna say, who really likes the low scoring playoff games? Me. Uh no, I'm I'm more in it for the the wild side, like. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't particularly (laughs) like the 40s yesterday, but still something a little bit Yeah, I guess maybe like a 27-23. Yeah, in the 20s. Yeah. In the 20s. But but that, you talked about the David Tyree helmet catch. That was 17 to 14. Mm, That's true. That was. Like, I don't know. As long, you know what matters is that it's a good game. Yeah. yeah, that's what matters is that it's a good game and that it and that it well, takes on a life of its own. And sometimes defensive games are not good games. Mm. Heavily defensive games are not good games. But if it but if it's a one possession game, so so when the Jaguars beat the Bills last weekend ten to three, the Bills had the ball at the fifty yard line with a couple minutes to go, or a minute to go or something, a, a hail mary touchdown and it's a tie game. Yeah. That, to me, 
that's just if it's a one possession game whatever the score or yesterday with the Steelers when okay you know they're going to score again Jags will go into a little bit of prevent you know they're going to score again can they do it fast enough by the way side conversation in that game when the Steelers were down 10 with like 40 seconds to go should they have um kicked the field goal and then tried the onside kick because when you score with one second on the clock then you're screwed yeah yeah because that was the dumbest thing ever because like they're gonna they need to try an onside kick recover it and recover it running and get a touchdown right right there was multiple things about the end of that game and i think again it pointed out for us my husband and i have been talking about it for a while i mean he pointed it out to me first and i now we both avidly watch out for it tomlin's poor clock management at the end of close games drives us crazy and I think Ben too. Oh my gosh! About the play the, call, the clock man, but the clock management is just the worst. I don't know why they didn't call a timeout before the two minute warning, for example. Yeah. I mean, just when like it, when they let it little, run down, I, yeah, when I'm they like, let it I, run I'm down like, to two shocking. minutes, there was it was like it was like two fifteen or two seventeen or something. Yeah. Like, it's why like, didn't you, you call me? out a timeout before yeah. the two minute warning? I mean, just little things like that, just the poor clock management, and then it flows into then the poor. Um, the play chaos play calls and the like I mean yes it's, and just yeah yeah that just is so stressful when it might not need to be mm-hmm. I don't know I think that's I think I think that's what Big Ben has been trying to say Kim talked about how he takes these veiled shots at Haley I think he's been trying to complain about the chaos the confusion the clock management the drama the who's in charge. I think he's been trying to complain about that. If you listen to him closely for about two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we have a lot of good games um, ahead. Let's make some early picks here. We um, make our picks officially on the website this week, but we'll do early thoughts now. And based on the defensive stats, I'll start with the over-under. So right now Vegas has set that number at 38. This is Eagles-Vikings. Eagles okay. Vikings. So Nicole, will these teams go over or under thirty combined points? Hmm. Under. That's a good one. That's a low number too. Lower than forty is really low. I think they'll go under. So you so like so yeah, like a twenty to seventeen final score, you'd still hit your under. Yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, would, it was fifteen ten this past weekend with yeah, with, with Philly that, with Philly. Philly at home. Yeah. yeah. And that's with Matt Ryan who although he's come back to his averages this year, I think is probably people consider still a better Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You probably expect to do a little better than Case Keenum. Mm-hmm. So good, good point. And mm-hmm. Philly's going to have a tough time scoring on the Minnesota defense. Right. Apparently. So I'm with, <laughs> Apparently. I'm, with, I'm with Nicole. If you can, if you can still and 21 to 17, you'd push. So I, I'm with Nicole, I guess go under. Still. I agree with both of you. Now the spread is Vikings minus three. So like last week, the Eagles are home underdogs again. Nicole, hmm. will the Vikings win this game by at least three points? I say yes. I'm picking Vikings. Yeah. Sam? I don't know if about by three, though. But I think the Vikings will win. So Vikings will win, but they might not cover three points. They might yeah, not win by three. Be, I think it's going to be close. Okay. 
I'm, this is one of those ones where I just hate the Eagles so much. I'm going to talk myself into the Eagles covering, and then I'll just be, gladly be wrong if the Vikings win by four <laughs> <God>. or more. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll either be right on the website for the world, or I'll just sit at home happy that the Eagles are going home. Either way. Or do we really want Nick Foles in the Super Bowl? Do so we that's really why want I think the I'm, Eagles in the Super Bowl. So that's why I'm going to pick them. I'm going to do all my research and pick them to win. Okay. But then I'll be glad if I'm wrong. All right. Now, but wouldn't it be awesome mm-hmm. if the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl? No. No, I'll be rooting for the Patriots. No, no. Uh, I will not. Uh. Oh, sorry. I will not. I will never root for the Patriots. Okay. Well, like I said, we'll publish our picks on the website Wednesday, and we'll use the Wednesday morning lines. But it's always fun to talk about the money lines, too. And speaking of which, dun, 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 the Patriots are already heavy favorites at home over the Jaguars. So, Sam, last week you laid out all the reasons on the podcast why Jacksonville could beat Pittsburgh. I really did. Um, you even said it was possible for Blake Bortles to have a good game, and he was pretty decent. But then by Wednesday, you didn't even take them to cover eight and a half points. You took the Steelers to win big. Are you going to make the same mistake this week? Because last week you convinced me and I took the Jaguars to cover on thefootballpod.com, but you ignored your own advice. You're right. Um, I've done that a few times this year, and I may have to start just publishing our picks right after the podcast. Maybe you do that to trick me. Maybe you do that. I'm not that, I'm not that smart. Oh. Um, and. Oh. I'm getting revenge on you from last year because I'm up on you quite a bit for the season um, after you kicked my ass last year. Um, But anyway, um, I have done that a lot this year where on the podcast we look at the early lines and we talk about it and I lay out why. Because last week Kim was like, okay, they've got Blake Bortles and come on, you can't possibly. And I'm like, no, here's why I think it's going to be a really close game and I actually do buy into Jacksonville. And and then I sat and thought about it for a couple days and looked at some things and wrote all about why Pittsburgh will eventually cover that big number. So, um, it, but here's, you know, it's really difficult this week. Jacksonville's playing well. They're playing really well. And if you want to take Jacksonville, you get a lot of points. Kim, what's the spread on it? Um, depending on where you research, it's been nine and ten and a half points today. So nine, ten, mm. nine, nine and a half, ten and a half. Okay, so, so nine sounds reasonable. Ten and a half sounds like a bargain. But one team... Um, I've done well with this year's the Patriots. I've written about it numerous times on thefootballpod.com. Patriots are a premium team. And so for people that don't know what that means, in Vegas, in Vegas terminology, that means you pay a premium to pick them. Because so many um, people walk into the Vegas sports books and they bet the Patriots, like whatever the spread is. So that drives the line up because people are betting them and Vegas wants to bring in money on the other side. So that's how it works. So then it drives the spread up. So there are a lot of games where maybe they should be an eight-point favorite, and then they're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite because of everybody taking them, and it drives it up. But in spite of that, the Patriots are 12-5 and five against the spread this year. So mm. I've been writing all year that you should take the Patriots anyway because they generally cover despite the big number. This is similar to Alabama and college football, by the way. They frequently cover inflated spreads. But back to the Patriots. We'll see what it looks like on Wednesday, but I'm predicting I probably side with them if it's less than 10 over 10 becomes more difficult. Nicole, you just watched Jacksonville pull off an upset in Pittsburgh. Can the Jaguars repeat their performance in New England? Or is this where the story ends for bandwagon Jags fans like Sam? 
This is where the story ends for sure. Oh, <laughs> Nicole. I hate the Patriots. I do. I have hated the Patriots for a very long time now, well over a decade. And I still think the Patriots are going to win. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm sick I know. Of it New makes England. me sick. So um, to stay positive going into this game. I have found some interesting information that I'm going to share. More of cam- course. More, more, cam- more camalytics. <laughs> I haven't I've got to de- trademark that. <laughs> I haven't decided if um, we are going to call it that yet, but just listen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to beat Tom Brady, teams generally have to have a good pass rush. And if you can't get to Brady, then he'll kill you. But if you can pressure him, and especially if you can hit him, then you have a good chance. So fortunately, Jacksonville is number one in the NFL in sacks per game. They've actually tied with Pittsburgh. They both average 3.3 sacks per game, so that's good news. But they'll need to be better than the average on Sunday. They'll need to get to Brady early and often, but at least they've shown all year that they can get to, to quarterbacks. And if they can apply some pressure, then maybe that leads to other, you know, other mistakes. Even if they don't sack him every time, part of it's just forcing him to throw the ball away, that sort of thing. I'm glad you brought that up, and I hope that happens. So in addition to getting pressure on the quarterback, Jacksonville is also very good at forcing interceptions. The Jaguars pick off an average of 1.3 interceptions per game, so that's the second best number in the NFL this year. Baltimore was slightly better at 1.4. Nicole's other favorite team. Yeah. (laughs) But those things go hand in hand, right? If you can get pressure, then hopefully you can force quarterbacks into mistakes like interceptions. Um, Nicole... Whether you've enjoyed it or not, you've watched plenty of good defenses take their shots at Brady over the years. Um, do you think Jacksonville has enough of pass rush and strong secondary combination to make the Patriots uncomfortable on Sunday? I would like to say yes, but I think the refs don't allow anyone oh to my hit gosh. Brady. Not <laughs> this is what we do in so. elementary schools when we, we agree. Oh we do one of these. So I would have to say I think it will be more difficult than normal. I, I Honestly, I think it will be more difficult than normal for the Jags to get pressure on Brady, um, partially because of the refs. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about like it's true. I'm okay. I think you're biased. I'm gonna talk about stuff that's real based on like the players. Um, I I want to add and help your argument, Kim Kimberly Ann Maley. Actually, um, Jacksonville's linebackers are really good in pass coverage. So I think Miles Jack had the first big the four the first quarter that big interception on Ben yesterday. The other linebacker, number fifty, I forget his name. He picked up the Roethlisberger fumble and ran it back. Um, mm, yeah. So. Yeah. Their linebackers are good at, but they have the personnel to both drop back into coverage and make plays, and also blitz and and heads up playmaker guys like on that fumble return. So, mm-hmm. um, so I just as a defensive unit, they play really well in pass coverage and obvious passing downs. But what New England does really well is exploit whatever weakness an opponent's got. So whatever matchup they can take advantage of, they typically do. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Kim might have um, more information ready for us on on matchups and how this might play out. I do. Okay. On paper, at least. The Jaguars' single defensive weakness is defending the run. Uh Uh-oh. So they've only ranked 21st in the league this year. Um, They gave up 115 yards per game on the ground. But Mm. let me say this. If they're that good against the pass, and they are, then maybe the run defense statistics are a little skewed. How so? 
Well, maybe teams were attempting to run a lot more on Jacksonville because they didn't want a pass-heavy game plan in place. Your thoughts? That's an interesting point. Um, It's a very interesting point. It is. Um, I do think the Patriots with Deion Lewis have been really good on the ground over the last couple months, like in that Pittsburgh game, for example. Um, So it's... It'll be something, you know, can they capitalize on Jacksonville's run defense being the, the weaker part of their 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 game? Um, I don't know. Patriots early in the year were so pass-heavy. Now they're a lot more balanced. Um, we've seen that in recent weeks. Kim, you mentioned earlier that Philly ran the ball a lot on Saturday against Atlanta, like, and, and it was, you know, a, it helped with time possession and all of that. Um, and it's not even necessarily big plays. It's just establishing the run that matters. Because that keeps defenders at least honest. Because um, you have to honor your keys. If if the if the tailback actually might get the ball, it makes a difference how your linebackers play. Um, right. So it's interesting. The Patriots did some of that too. Because on Saturday night, I didn't realize this. The the I only watched you know the first half or so, but they ran the ball 27 times on Saturday night. It wasn't always for big plays, but they they averaged less than four yards per carry. But they got the attempts in. It wasn't exactly balanced because Brady threw it a bunch anyway. But it it has advantages. He had lots of advantages over the Tennessee secondary, so they exploit that. But they ran enough to keep the Titans' defense honest. Um, and you guys are going to not like what I say, but I think that's part of New England's brilliance. Is that they're I, so, I, I, hold on, I didn't put my earmuffs on. They're so unpredictable <laughs> with their game plans. So Kim laid out all of these statistics and what does Jacksonville do well and not well. But we've seen this so many times where the Patriots come out and do what you least expect them to. Um, And that's why taking the Vegas spread out of it altogether, just talking about who wins this game, it's, I agree with, you know, Nicole said it's going to be New England. If Jacksonville's fortunate enough to be in a close game in the second half, and maybe they will, there's going to be times where both quarterbacks have to make plays. And that includes the ability to recognize defenses and coverages and maybe audible. And I think some of the greatness of guys like Brady, Peyton Manning definitely mm-hmm. in his in his prime is their ability to make judgments, change plays at the line of scrimmage, basically be a coach on the field. And that includes checking down to run plays sometimes when you, when you have um, passing plays called. So, so which quarterback in this AFC game will be accurate, <laughs> complete important passes on third downs, but also which one is smart enough at the line of scrimmage to make all the right calls. And when you think about it, it's really hard not to go with Brady here. Right. Even if Blake Bortles doesn't make bad mistakes, can he make all the right judgment calls and explore, you know, okay, they're in this kind of coverage. So we clearly can pick up five or six yards on a draw here. So I'm going to audible out of it. You know, that kind of stuff. Can he be as good as Brady? I don't think so. I agree. I, I have a quick question I'm going to throw you maybe for a loop here. I don't know if you have this these statistics up. You were talking about um, the Patriots mixing it up on Saturday with their run and pass attempts. Do you know the breakdown of did they make more run attempts in the second half versus the first half? I don't think so. Okay. They, because they I was looking at it earlier because I was surprised they ran 27 times for 100 right. yards. Brady threw over 50 times for the okay. game. And, you know, that's the other thing that New England does really well. And that's why New England, Kim and I were talking about this last week with the um, the Chiefs were up 21-3 to over Tennessee. The only reason Tennessee was in that game at Foxborough Saturday night is because they had the big comeback at Arrowhead. And we were talking about how 
that's where Kansas City sucks and teams like Kansas City is you're up 21-3 at half or the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Like you're up. Don't abandon your game plan and what's working. It's the it's the NFL nowadays where the Steelers and the Jags can have 87 combined points. You, you've got to you've got to continue to crush them. And and the Patriots, I don't have the exact breakdown in the second half, but before I fell asleep in the third quarter, Brady was still throwing the ball to Amendola and Gronkowski and the Patriots don't let up. Yeah, that's and true. And I love that about them. The Patriots are never going to be the answer to the trivia question of who gave up the big second-half comeback. They might come back, but mm-hmm. they, they're not going to be the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and Alex Smith. <laughs> we were up 21-3 at home and we fucking blew it. Like, that's not the Patriots. And that's why, that's what I was kind of saying earlier. They'll game plan, they'll adjust in-game, and they'll go with whatever it takes to win. Um, and I, so they just they never get too conservative. Yeah. Even when they're up big. Yeah. It's like, they don't. It's, it's like true. no three touchdown lead in the fourth quarter is not enough. We could use one more right now. Right. Might it's be true. considered a little conservative, not on the football field. <laughs> oh, <God>. Now, um, <laughs> you mentioned Blake Bortles. I did. Even if he doesn't make bad mistakes, can he make all the right judgment calls mm-hmm. and be as good as Brady? I want you to keep in mind, though, when Blake Bortles does not throw an interception, the Jaguars are 10-0, and they've never lost. So Okay. So if he has a game where he doesn't throw an interception, they've never lost. Interesting. Um, So the early spread here with this game is that we're using right now, at least, is Patriots minus 9.5. Nicole, will the Patriots win by more than 9.5 points? Yes. I'm sorry. (laughs) I... I feel the same way. However, I'm real. <laughs> All right. So I guys, recognize so, uh, their yeah. abilities. So you guys are just anti-Patriots. I'll be rooting for Jacksonville this game, not because I have anything against the Patriots, but um, because I talked about in the divisional game, it's the upstart Jaguars versus the established Steelers. And mm-hmm. it, now it's the same thing. And I hope... This doesn't really have much to do with the spread because I'm ultimately going to go with Nicole and say, yeah, the Patriots will win by 10. If it, it, but you said it was at 10 and a half at one point, and that's where Vegas might get the hook on me, and I might, if it gets double digits, go Jacksonville. But here's what I'm hoping for this week is I'm really concerned about this. And, Nicole, um, I'm interested to hear what you think because, like Kim pointed out, you've played the game most recently here. Um, Jacksonville has their biggest win I don't know if it's the biggest win in the history of their franchise because in the 90s when Coughlin got there and they shocked some teams early in one playoff games, that was a really big deal too. Um, but it's certainly the biggest win in the recent history of their franchise. Um, to So what I'm worried about is young team, biggest win they've ever had. Did they, did they use all of their emotional, um, you know, did, did it build up to the Pittsburgh game and now they've got to fly home, have a good week of practice, go up to New England. Can they can they do it two weeks in a row? Can you get the same level effort two weeks in a row? And I hate to say this, but against a better coach team the second time. Um, I just I hope they have the same swagger and attitude, and because their defense is reminding yeah. me of the early two thousands Ravens defense. They are cocky. They're arrogant. Jalen Ramsey has said, I'm going to be the best cornerback since Deion Sanders. I love it. I love this team. I love their attitude. Um, and I want to see them 
I, I, I want I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I want to see them get to Brady and hit him. I want to see what happens because that that Kim talked about. I do you too. have to have the pass rush to beat Brady. The Giants had a, a defensive line in the two Super Bowls when the Ravens would would give the Patriots a hard time. Um, you do have to do that. You mm-hmm. have to disrupt him. You have to get a rush up the middle mm-hmm. because if you get a rush up the middle on Brady, that's when he has to roll out, and he's not Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. He doesn't want to do that. So um, they've got to get at him. They've got to make him uncomfortable, and I just hope they do that because, again, I root for interesting. I want to see what happens to the Patriots when someone new who's too young to, to not – why not? I want Jackson mm-hmm. to come in. Why not us? Um, but then again, I don't want him to be overconfident. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I think that it, I think that it continues to motivate. I, I think that they'll be going into Foxborough with that fire in that fire in their belly. I think that they're definitely going to stay motivated and that this will push them even further. The fact that they beat the Steelers, it might push them to have a little bit more of that swagger, um, going in there this week. Um, hopefully that's not. It's not like overconfidence to mm-hmm. their detriment, yeah. but I think it'll definitely fuel. I think this is just fueling it for them. Um, I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Pittsburgh was the, what, sixth seed and won the Super Bowl that year? The the fir- the, the, fir- the last Bill Cowher. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little of that because they were consistently the underdogs that yeah. whole time. And Bettis was old, but the rest right. of the team was pretty young. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was Ben's second year. Yep. So, I mean, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I mean, yeah. it's it's not quite that, obviously, but um, because the, still the Steelers were definitely more established even then. Than, even then, because of Cowher right, and just right, the Steelers. Right, yeah. exactly, than Jacksonville. But still, I hope that I love helps the, fuel that. I, I love that the players have a cockiness, but the organization's run by Tom Coughlin. So my hope is that behind the scenes and at practice and the way that Tom Coughlin's reputation is, I hope that, hey, maybe these guys are a little outspoken and they have that swagger and good for them, but they're still preparing the way a Tom Coughlin team, who's the only guy to beat Belichick Brady in the Super Bowl, prepares teams all week. I know, I know he's not the head coach, it's Marone, and, but together that team has done mm-hmm. such a great job. That It's amazing that Jacksonville, talented roster, because they were so bad for so long. So good draft picks, really mm-hmm. talented roster, but still stunk. It's amazing. Year one of the Coughlin-Marone showing up, what that organization and discipline and preparedness and just a steadfast approach, what that can do. It, like You yeah. can't say in the NFL that co- that coaching and organizational advantages don't matter mm-hmm. because and it clearly does. The one thing that you just said that I think just highlights it perfectly is the discipline. Mm-hmm. That word is the perfect word to describe it. Discipline. Because That's it's, it's what discipline you need. all week. Right. With how you prepare and right. it's also it's also discipline with how you play. Right. I was do just going to say on the field. Do defenders stay home? Do right. linemen right. get their blocks? Do they get in front and not hold? Do they just Special teams require so much right. discipline. I mean, it's so. So they've definitely done an amazing job this year in um, Jacksonville. Um, and regardless of which team you would like to see, check out our official picks on thefootballpod.com. We will use Wednesday's lines and publish that day as usual. And Sam, before we move on, 
Is there anything else that we missed that we have to know regarding either of the championship games? Yes, Kimberly. Okay. I have a final tidbit of my own. All right. Um, It's not as good as your Camelytics, but it's something you guys need to know. The Patriots will be playing in their seventh straight AFC championship game. That's a record. Um, They haven't missed this game in the last seven seasons. This is unbelievable success and remarkably consistent. It's also, listen to this. This is great. This is where it gets crazy. It's also their 13th AFC championship game appearance in the last 22 seasons. So for more than two decades now, when you think AFC title game, you're probably thinking of memories that involve the Patriots. Uh, More often than not, they are in the NFL's Final Four over the last 20 years. So Kim, it's sort of something we can all be proud of as Americans, right? I mean, the presidents may change. We're talking about the Clinton administration, going back to 96, we're talking about the Clinton administration, George W., Obama, and now Trump. No matter who's president, we can count on the Patriots playing for the Lamar Hunt Trophy. Isn't that uplifting news? I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Just thought you guys would want to hear that to brighten your week. That did not brighten my week. (laughs) That put a huge damper on the week. Well. In addition to the Steelers loss. So thanks. Can't can't ignore history. (laughs) Um, Well, with that, I think it's time to move on to a better topic. Okay. Um. We have Nicole in studio tonight, so we need to talk about the upcoming season in the WFA, and that stands for the Women's Football Alliance. Yes. That's the league that the Pittsburgh Passion play in, which is the team that Nicole played for. So, Nicole, the Passion went to the playoffs last year and beat Atlanta in the first round, but they lost to Chicago in the second round. Back in 2008, when you were still playing, you guys had a tough game with Chicago too, right? Absolutely. Chicago has been Pittsburgh's downfall for a while now, it seems like, over the past, what, eight years? Seven, uh, what is it? Almost 10 years now. Yeah, yeah 10 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I feel so old <laughs> thinking about that. Wow. Um, yes, the Chicago has always been, they've also been around about just as long as the Pittsburgh Passion, Chicago Force. And some of the girls on their team actually ended up moving to Pittsburgh and played for the Pittsburgh Passion when I played with them. Um, but didn't that didn't change anything as far as it being a tough matchup. Um, but yeah, it's always been a, a little bit of a rivalry there um, with Chicago Force for quite some time. So the and the Passion Kim just mentioned the Passion and the WFA. Um, but this has changed and evolved a lot in the last 10, 12, 15 years. And it sounds like the passion and Chicago, the force, have been meeting up in the playoffs regardless of whatever the name of the, the, the league was. But mm-hmm. um, it's the WFA now. Is that is that what it's been now, Women's Football Alliance? Is that that's a few years in the making now? Oh, yes. That's been that's been for quite a while now, I think. Okay. I think probably. Because when, when you were playing for the passion, it was a, a, one of the – one of the leagues that eventually joined another one and became the Alliance. Right, right, okay. right. Which is which is what we see good, healthy leagues do throughout the history of sports. The NFL did it with the NFL-AFL. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got these two competing leagues, and we're stronger together, and then you get something like an Alliance. So, right. Um, so when you uh, go out on the WFA website, which for people that are interested, it's wfaprofootball.com. 
And you look at the fact that this league now has, this is remarkable to me, the league has 65 teams playing across three different divisions, and I'll, I'll let you explain that in a second, but you can see this awesome growth in women's pro football. The website has all of this cool history and information. So you must be very proud to see where it's come knowing that you were a part of this years ago. Right, and I mean, in looking at it now in hindsight, I came into it, I started playing in 07, and the team had already been around for six years or so whenever I came into it. And so now it's been, you know, over 10 years since then. And so it's it's kind of interesting and curious to see how the league leagues for women's football have evolved. And the WFA, I think, is certainly making the right strides. Um, the, fir- the, the longer strides, they have more teams in their league than the other one, it seems like. And the different divisions sort of reflect whenever you form a team and join the WFA, they don't put you in the top tier right away because you don't have the fan base. You might not necessarily have the community supports all in place that the top tier teams have, division one teams have. And you might not have the experience on the field. Right. The experience on the field, experience in management and coaching and everything else, all of it. So that's why they start them with the division three and everything and they sort of build their way and move their way up now that's not to say i know that division two and division one teams play each other so there's there is some of they cross yeah there can be some crossover but i but think that's there's like a division one football play team scheduling a one double a a little that's, bit yeah 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 it can be like that but um you know, it's until that Division Three team can show that they have the community support, the fan support, they have a good base going, those kinds of things, um, before they can sort of move up the ladder, I guess, so to speak. Okay. So I I love it. I love the model. So they so if you look at the website, um, WFAProFootball.com, um, you can see there are the three different divisions, and you can see that they crowned a champion in each division. So it, it is very similar to collegiate or even high school sports in that we're going to have the we've got different pools set up for the teams that should be competing against each other now the passion nicole who you played for have been that they're obviously division one because they've been playing for over 15 years now um which i think is such a, a cool and important milestone because a lot of the teams that may have started way back when you talked about you started in 07 and the passion been around for a while some of the teams that were around then maybe have folded and aren't playing anymore so um i kind of think of it similar to way back in the 1920s and 30s there were nfl teams that aren't around anymore and then there are teams like kimberly ann maley's green bay packers or your pittsburgh steelers that survived and thrived and now they're these classic iconic franchises so how many years do the passion have to play uh, and have success which they've had a lot of continued success um you were involved in that you know, how many years does it have to be before you guys, you know, the alumni are saying, hey, yeah, we're the passion. We're one of the league's franchise, you know, flagship franchises. Um, or are they already there since they've had so much success already? Like, do you, ha- do you have that pride already? I think, yeah, I think absolutely that's already there. I think I can name some of the teams even just looking through this quickly, just making sure which ones are still in it. Um, the Fu- the Cleveland Fusion, DC Divas, Pittsburgh Passion, um, they're all Chicago Force. They're all in that. 
These, um, are, the, these are the clubs that started years ago. Right. Like 15, 20 years ago. And right. And they are, and they've had success and they're still playing and, and playing at a high level. Right. I think these DC Divas and Chicago Force are definitely two, two teams that have always been like the rivals. Like I would equate DC Divas with like the Patriots almost. Okay. Um, okay. And the Pittsburgh Passion with the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. of course. And colors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Franco Harris, part Just, owner of the team. Absolutely. And, you know, all Pittsburgh teams, they all are black and gold. So yeah. keeping that tradition going, of course, they weren't going to deviate from that. But I think um, there are some of these flagship teams that have been around for a really long time and they're pretty well known. Um, and I think that Pittsburgh is one of them and for it's sure. So important. For a, for a, um, for an emerging league, because Kim knows, like, Green Bay was a big deal then, and they were a big deal in the 60s, it's called the Lombardi Trophy, and they're a big deal now, and the NFL's better if Green Bay's better. So I would imagine for women's football, same with Pittsburgh, same with, uh, you guys don't love Dallas, but same with Dallas. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would imagine for Women's Football Alliance, it's similar. You yeah. need some core flagship teams that have been around for a while and had some success and that people in people involved with the women's professional scene know the passion and the divas and the force and some of these teams. I, you know, a le- any league, any sport needs a, a core group of teams um, that matter uh, for the for the league to prosper, I think. Yeah. It's not to say that every team's not important, but you need a few that everybody knows about. Yeah, and absolutely. So, um, so because of you, I follow the passion on on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. Keep track of what they're doing, and practices have started for the 2018 spring season. Um, wow. Remember yeah. when we were both in Lake Placid, and from my hotel room, I texted you after they had beaten Atlanta um, <laughs> last year. Uh, so, but I was I was looking at the the Facebook feed, and I like the quick little video they had with quarterbacks working on dropping back and footwork in the pocket. Yes, um, and they looked very impressive. I saw that from the um, other night. So we've talked about it a little bit before when you've been on. Wait, those two quarterbacks were also the quarterbacks whenever I was playing for them. But yeah, go ahead. The passion of quarterbacks that were playing 10 years ago, they're still playing. Yeah, they and they were both playing before me, so yes. So they must be going on like 40 years old, and they're still playing quarterback? Um, Lisa Horton definitely, if she's she's right they around 40. She's or, right around 40, for sure. So and Tom Cara, Brady's not the only he's one. He's not the only one. No, no, and Kara Prentice, she is probably close to 50 by now. I would put her oh in my gosh. mid-40s. I mean, so she's Brady a, said he wants to play till 45. The Passion have somebody doing that. Oh, yeah. there. I mean, the Passion definitely, when I played, they there was a woman, I think when I played, I can't remember if she was 50 or if she was turning 50 that year when we were playing, when I was playing. So wow. there, there's girls from 18 to 50 on the team. I mean, oh it's gosh. crazy. Right. That is that is remarkable. Yeah. Um. That wow, that is really so great. sorry. So, I'm I totally no, sidetracked okay. you and I apologize, no, but that is interesting. Those I saw that clip too on Facebook from over the weekend from their practice, and I was like, Yep, looks like, like Lisa, looks like Lisa and Kara. Yep, um, that is really cool. Uh, so <laughs> how okay, so when you show up to practice starting because it's, it's a spring season, right? You know, Women's Football Alliance, so. Um, they play in their games in April, May into mm-hmm. June, playoffs in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you show up, 
this 18 to 50 dynamic, that's crazy. So when you show up new and you're 18 or 19 years old and you've got these two quarterbacks that have been playing for 15 years, that must be a that must be intimidating. Yeah. I mean, it was intimidating. I mean, coming in new now, I would absolutely be I think I would be more intimidated if I would go and try out now than I would than I was when I did try out back when you've in got 07. Youth on your side, you have a little bit of feeling of invincibility. Well, yeah, and and at that time it had only been around for like 6 years or so and the pa- the Pittsburgh Passion had not won a championship yet. So okay. they didn't have the wild success that they had while I was with the team. And it's, I'm not saying that because I was I part the, of that. I, I'm I love, not. I love the I, way you said it. I'm not. I'm not trying to indicate that at all because I definitely was not. We only have champions on this podcast. <laughs> I was not the star athlete for sure, or the playmaker for sure on the team. So, um, yeah, but football's so um, football's so not about stars, right? I mean, if, if, well, if it was, the Giants, you know, have Odell Beckham Jr. They'd be, you know, and and. Football's about team. Right, right. So so I think I would have... And I was intimidated then because there was... I remember... I still remember walking in and being intimidated at the first tryout um, with with the women that clearly had been there for a while and had been there since the beginning. Actually, when I started playing, a lot of the women had been there since the team had formed. Okay. And so that was certainly very intimidating to me. Um, now there's less. There are still some originals that are still playing. Lisa Horton is still the quarterback. Um, I mean, she did leave and come back. So there, there's some of that. Her job, everything else yeah. took her away from Pittsburgh for a little while there. Job and family. But um, I think that would be even more t- intimidating for sure, knowing that some of these women have been around since the beginning. And that means 15 years as opposed to six or seven at the time whenever I – was that, that's trying a out. challenge and you really have to overcome a lot of fear to get out there and try out because for for kids <clears throat> um for, for boys i mean when you show up for um you know whatever age you start playing at like let, let's say you don't play till high school and you show up most high schools even a small school maybe they won't have a dedicated freshman team but freshman sophomores jv you you're not right for the most part you're not going to be 14 and awkward and going up against these muscular, been in the weight room for a few years in the program, 17 and 18-year-old young men. Right. Um, it's it's divvied up because of, you know, there's a freshman team and then JV is typically sophomores in the varsity. And so for you guys, girls, um, it is, you don't have that advantage right. of showing up to practice the first day with kids you've grown up in and seen in school. It's just, oh, shit, that that girl throwing the football down there looks amazing. Oh, well, she's been doing it for 15 years. Right. And th- those people look like, look like they've been in the weight room a lot. And and you don't have the advantage of just being put in a pool with people about your age. Right. It's so much more challenging. To right. me, it sounds like when you <clears throat> explain that. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I don't really know any... I don't know any of the rookies or people that have even played for the past couple of years, even though I see them and sort of know of them because mm-hmm. I'm still following, sort of following, the team. following and in touch with some of my former teammates and stuff. So I know who's been around um, and joined after me and has continued on. But um, I don't know. I think that that's definitely true. And I think that that makes it harder. But at the same time, I think that 
the Pittsburgh passion have become so much more well known in the Pittsburgh community and since Pittsburgh is such a huge football town that I think that there's a lot of young women and girls growing up knowing about the passion already it was something I found out about after I was already an adult you know okay. so it was something I always wanted to do and was never able to Whereas do now you might have girls in high school counting on the days till they're 18 years old exactly and go try out for exactly exactly wow. so I think that that has sort of changed a little bit as far as that goes because I remember I mean even when I was when I was there and playing you know we would do a lot of community things and you know I remember there was a mom who called us and her like I think it was her eight-year-old or nine-year-old at the time was playing Pop Warner football with the boys. And so she wanted us to, she asked if we could come and, and come to a practice or whatever and see her daughter and sort of talk to her daughter and like, you know, tell her how awesome she was. Because she was, I mean, playing yeah. with the boys at eight or nine years old is pretty cool. So, you know, we did show up to the practice and talk to the mom and then like talk to her daughter and stuff after the practice. So there are women and girls growing up in Western PA knowing about it. I have... um cousin on my husband's side who she's always been a very natural talented athlete and she's now in college and she's sort of playing college basketball a little bit um not a d1 school but still um she's playing a a college sport right and so i've talked to her multiple times hey are you gonna go play for the passion because she's in pittsburgh and my husband's side of the family is just they're so huge football heavy people it's insane um and i'm like don't you want to go play for the Pittsburgh Passion? Like, I think she would be amazing because she is such a natural, awesome athlete. And I know she wants to. I don't know if her mom is sort of convincing her otherwise or what's going on there. But, but it might be something, if, if I were playing college basketball, and, you know, that might be something that I want to finish up at age 21 or 2. Right. And then, and plus I don't know the rules on NCAA crap and if you can play women's pro or semi-pro football yeah. while you're a college athlete. Yeah, but, I don't think but you can. It might be something where she would finish up with a college basketball career and then if she's playing division two that you know she's probably not going to the WNBA right but she might be able to go try out for this is exactly like uh Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates and some of the Jimmy Graham some of these men's college basketball players that hadn't played football that end up being all pro tight ends in the NFL like she might be the type that could go play receiver absolutely for Pittsburgh after a college basketball career. Right. I mean, most of the women that are playing for the Pittsburgh Passion have played a college sport okay. um, or were star athletes in high school. Yeah. Um, I was one of the few that did not do those things. <laughs> That's pretty but, impressive that you went the other route and made, made your way anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, there's – you have – it's hard. It's – you have to have the determination and work ethic to do it. So I think that um, – and it's not like I didn't do athletic things. I did athletic things growing up, just not sports. Mm-hmm. So I was a dancer growing up. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's a sport, even though there is competitive dancing. That's not necessarily a sport, but it's certainly athletic. It's certainly yeah, something that you're in shape for doing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that it depends on your work ethic as a person in general. Um, I've, I've always I've always said that to people that have asked me about football that haven't played. That yeah. Half of it is, are you just tough enough to show up right. and survive practice and prove your worth on the field as a as a member of that team? Um, because the, the the practices can be brutal. Yeah. And but but it's different than like. There's going to be a place for you on the team, 
if you can if you can survive practice and do your best and not quit, there's probably a place for you on the team. Whereas basketball starts five guys and they right. play both ways and good teams only go seven or eight deep. There's a skill set that you have to work on your whole life. Right. To 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 play like say high school varsity basketball. Right. Whereas football, it's one of the advantages. There's 22 starters. There's special teams. There's there's a spot. If, if you can show up and do your best and just be a tough kid, boy or girl, and not quit, um, you, you, you can play. You can be part of the team. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so special. Yeah. Um, so, uh, And that's not easy to do either it's because your these women are – this isn't their full-time job. I mean, they have yeah, full-time jobs yeah. or their full-time students or, you know, or their full-time moms. Like there's, there's, we have lives outside of football. I mean, it's not, it's, it's absolutely not like the pros. And, <laughs> but, what's, but what's really cool about it is earlier I was talking about NFL teams that are, you know, the, the flagship franchises now and where they were a hundred years ago. If you go read about the early days of the NFL or any early days in sports leagues in this country, you had guys working jobs. Right. You had guys that played football for the early days in the NFL in the season, but then had to have a job in the factory in the right. off season. Or the, so mm-hmm. it's it, there's a lot of parallels to what you guys are are growing and doing. Absolutely. With what you know, men's football went through a hundred years ago. Right. It's not that different, and and um, that that effort and like you said, job, mom, and by the way, Pittsburgh passion player. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a pretty cool thing. It is. Um, so with all of this growth and expansion in WFA, that means more teams, um, more girls getting out there and playing and trying out, um, like you just explained. So do you anticipate or do you know maybe that it's getting more competitive? Well, some of the teams like Passion, Chicago Force, DC Divas, some of the teams that have been around for a while, is it starting to get pretty selective as far as tryouts go and and making these teams because of the expansion in the league um i would like to say see this is such a hard question because i'm gonna go back to you know these women this isn't their full-time thing so you lose people because of other life obligations that are happening i mean i i i well i stepped away because i moved away but um I eventually probably would have stepped stepped away when I started having, you know, I have one child already. Sure. And, and so I probably, I would have absolutely had to step away then because <laughs> yeah. you can't play when you're pregnant. Yeah. But, um, you know, and there are some girls that I know of that, you know, were pregnant, had their kids and are back and, and playing. Back. Oh, wow. But that doesn't always happen. You know, life circumstances change for people. And so I would like to say that it absolutely is more competitive. Um but again, I still think that part of it is as long as you continue to show up and you work hard and you're determined, like you were saying before, in practices and everything else, there will be a spot for you. Yeah. Um, so I really because, you know, your star athlete can can go down in a practice and they're out for the season yeah. or or something happens in their family or their job and they have to take a step back from football. So, you know, it's not just. Oh, if they haven't, if they, you know, you're waiting for someone to have an injury to get your shot. It's, there could be some other personal life obligation that comes up that causes them to step away. So there's, there's some of that. And, you know, I think that that is so case by case, 
person by person yeah. that that's really difficult but i still think i'd like to think that it is certainly getting more competitive yeah. absolutely I, well, I, oh I, I bet it is um especially for the flagship well, teams like I, you were saying well i've seen just since i've known you um i'll never forget at your halloween party in your apartment <laughs> seeing your pictures and oh, just double taking wait you play football <laughs> um so since i've known you um because of you and now i keep an eye on this just in the last two or three years, I can tell you um, the league's website and what they, you know, it's getting better. Yeah. So obviously they're organized, they're publishing this information, um, they're out there on social media, and it's just really cool to see that growth. Um, so they're it, getting better people to they, help manage yeah. and everything. Which, and, and then you hear about like Franco Harris buying part of the team. Right. So if you have lifetime football people involved that that you know that's a big deal too right right um so um one of the other advantages of a league sticking around for a while is i would imagine some of the people that played then stay involved either in management or coaching or ownership right absolutely i mean Teresa khan who is the primary i mean she's the co-owner the main co-owner um of the pittsburgh passion she started out as a player Okay. And she kind of worked her way up into um, coaching and managing and owning and then owning. Um, she, I think, I'm trying to remember. I think she, did she play? No, she. I don't think. She, I think she tried to play my first year, but she was, she owned it then, oh, okay. and was also. I think. I don't think she was. She wasn't coaching. I think she tried to play, but I think she got injured. Or maybe she was so just suiting up for on, practices. Was like at the end of her run. Yeah, it was okay. certainly at the end of her run. Um, but but she she's the other she's the primary owner. Right. I mean, she was the owner and then brought in Franco. Okay. Um, fairly recently, but not to say Franco hasn't. Franco has been a supporter for a long time since I was there. He was a big supporter and and giving sponsorship money and things like that to help us. Or like when we did make playoffs and when we made it to the national championship, you know, all of a sudden we kind of ran out of money for you know buses to get down there and and help with accommodations and things like that. And so he came in and gave us more money for those kinds of things because that's, that's excellent. Yeah. So, I mean that, so he was all, he's always sort of been involved and been part of it. And then he stepped up a, a few years ago and, and Teresa Khan, we call her T she um, had him become part owner. And so that was like a really big deal, but I think it was like a long time coming kind yeah. of thing um, that they were hoping to, to get that. So it definitely gives, it's another face of the franchise. Right. Just a, a name, a right. historic Hall of Fame name. Exactly, in especially in Pittsburgh. Um, how about otherwise? Have you had other players or past teammates that um, that then got involved, even not even in Pittsburgh necessarily, but other franchises? Yeah, I, 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 I we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but one of a couple of the originals, um, Jennifer Moody and Lori Johnson, um, ended up moving to Florida. I played with them in 07 and 08. And I think they moved after the 08 season, somewhere around 08, 09. And they moved to Florida. Um, and they are now, Jennifer Moody is now the owner of the Tampa Bay Inferno. And um, Lori Johnson um, is one of the coaches now. Okay. Both of them played receivers wow. position in Pittsburgh. Receivers are smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, I know, Sam. 
<laughs> um, that's what Sam played in case anyone didn't know that already. I probably wasn't as good as them. That's why, <laughs> that's why I don't get to work in football like they do. But. but no, that's so that is something that they um, brought with them. And, and I actually played, I lived in Tallahassee for a time and played for the Tallahassee Jewels for a season. And um, we played against the Tampa Bay team okay. during that season. So I got to see Moody and LJ and talk to them and catch up a little bit. So that was kind of awesome. fun. Yeah, that I mean, it's just really cool. Um, and that's how it is, especially, you know, within a league like that that's been around for as long as it has. Some of the players, you know, have moved around. Lisa Horton moved around. She was in D.C. for a time. She was in Cleveland for a time and then is now back in Pittsburgh. And okay. so that's the quarterback. Right. That's okay. the quarterback. And then um, there was a couple of Chicago Force players that came to Pittsburgh um, for jobs, you know, not because they were switching teams that isn't the reason why they moved but where the league's at right now when they move they have to go seek an opportunity with the club that's there exactly so and then the one ended up moving back to chicago and and played again for the chicago team so i mean it's just kind of how things sort of work out and so there are people that you get to know through the years from the different teams because you've been around for so long yeah so that's kind of cool what what I think is so fascinating about this conversation with Nicole is we talked about the, the similarities between guys that were playing pro 100 years ago and how it wasn't glamorous and they were working other jobs and how, how these girls are that play now. Um, there's so many parallels. When you just told the story about, so I was playing in Pittsburgh and then I'm in Tallahassee and then I saw these girls that I used to play with. Game, <laughs> yeah. Like if you watch an NFL game and after the game mm-hmm. you see guys – players and coaches both some of the coaches used to be players and you see them shaking hands and talking and it's this camaraderie and brotherhood and the of guys that have known each other been teammates been rivals sometimes nowadays been both if you play right. for one team and moved and that's what you just described right it, it, not a brotherhood but a sisterhood right of football of that you're you're all over the country and then when you get to see each other and reconnect it's really cool and uh, I just, I think that sounds awesome, and I love or siblings, siblings in the NFL. Yeah, I know sibling people in the women's league who play for different teams, and then awesome. yeah, they then played in the same team in Pittsburgh, and then they went back to their respective teams too. So yeah, it's like crazy. And I just and I just think it's cool to hear about these other opportunities in football, like coaching, like ownership, that are now coming to women that. Um, I, I, I think that's great. I, I think there's also going to be um, some crossover. I think you're going to have some of the best um, women coaches are going to end up coaching um, uh, coaching in on, on NFL staffs. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's women are smart. Happen. Yeah. I mean, your friend, I know last year was on the Steelers sideline a couple times. Right. And so. Um, and Jen Welter, the famous one who yeah. was hired by Arizona. Yep. And I mean, she, that was like a spring training internship that she did through the preseason yeah um and then i mean they didn't hire her on after that but it's same kind of thing and then it's also happening bruce arians was really spoke very highly of her oh yeah absolutely and um it's also happening on the official on the officiating side i have a friend who played for the passion i played with her on the passion who is now I think she just coached her first college or not coach, excuse me, refed her first college game recently. Okay. But she started with high school games and everything else. And um, NFL is helping to foster that, too. Yeah, and so, yeah. And so that's that's all part of it. But, 
you know, that's why you're going to start seeing women refing and coaching because they're getting experience playing the game. Um, so we'll have more Kim Maywees hosting football podcasts too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, sure will. So uh, I I think this is uh, I just I think this is awesome. I love to pick your brain and ask you these questions and hear about it, and then uh, and then I like to pay attention. Their season starting up, like I said, I think games probably don't start till what about April? Right, Practices April. are starting because you you guys are in such a unique situation because of having other jobs and responsibilities. You have to start. You have to really kind of have a lengthy preseason because you might not be able to practice every day. Right. So you have to do it over several weeks to get ready. So pre, you know, training camp, whatever you want to call it, starting up, and um, and then uh, look out for WFA football in uh, in about April to start up and a season that's like a couple months and then into your postseason. So um, really cool stuff. WFAProFootball.com. And it's always just like so good to have you on and talk about this. I, I think it's so interesting. It's funny because I'm getting further and further away from my playing days every time you have me on, and I'm but just like, oh my gosh! It, but when you talk <laughs> about it, your stories and the and the, it's just so informative, and it comes back to you the same yeah. as anyone that's played. That it all just comes back to you. Um, and uh, Nicole is absolutely one of my favorite people to watch football with too because she played interior line so I can ask her questions um that uh perimeter players don't understand as well um so I think that just about does it for this week um I hope you guys and girls like the show um we love football you guys know that we talk NFL college football and everything else so when we get the chance to have Nicole on and talk about women's pro football we love to do that too and I, I kind of view it this way. If you care about the sport and the future of the sport, it's always good to hear from female fans and now the players, the female players too. It's pretty exciting to hear that clubs like the Pittsburgh Passion have been playing for over 15 years now. I think within the next decade or so, maybe a couple decades, I don't think we're that far off from maybe seeing girls' leagues in high schools. If you get into a state like Texas or Florida or something where you have enough, or Pennsylvania maybe, where you have enough of a football culture and you have enough demand and girls grow up watching Mm -hmm. their WFA teams, um, I don't think it's a, I I don't think it's a crazy idea that you, that you might hear about a a 10 team league in Texas 10 years from now for, for a girls high school. Um, It's a great game and it's unique and it takes so many, we talked about how it takes so many starters plus backups and big coaching staffs too. So it really brings a lot of people together from different backgrounds, different stories. It gets everyone playing together and working towards common goals. And I think that's something we can certainly use in our communities right now. So the more football, including women's football, the better. That's my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you all enjoyed the divisional playoffs last weekend. We did, minus the whole Steelers thing that Nicole will hopefully be over before the 2018 opener. Um, but it sounds like two-thirds of us in the studio have a vested interest in rooting against New England next. Um, <laughs> I hope you guys all have something to root for or maybe someone to root against this weekend. It's NFL Championship Sunday, the penultimate Sunday. Kim, how's that word? The penultimate Sunday oh, of the I NFL like that. Se- season. <laughs> um, so enjoy the games. I don't know if Kim and I will be back next week or if we'll wait until Super Bowl week, but you know you'll hear from us before the game. Unless the Patriots are going again and Kim may be boycotting at that point, but probably not. She's reliable, so <laughs> we'll be back um, because, uh, because thank God, it's playoff 
football season. Check out thefootballpod.com for our game picks this week, and we will talk to you soon. Say bye, guys. Bye now. Bye. Thank you.